So I needed a remote control a while ago, a universal remote control that will operate all of your media needs in one location. You plug everything into one remote, and I decided I will go down to the store, see what I can find, and to protect this major chain, I will not tell you the name of the store where I chose to shop. <laughs> this major chain that will be going out of business soon, we've read recently. So I go to the wall marked Universal Remote Controls, and it is an entire wall full of universal remote controls. I don't know why we need a whole wall. They're universal. So I start pulling a few down, and I'm reading the backs of the labels. There's a guy who's watching me the whole time, but he leaves me alone. I spend a few minutes. I have a remote in my hand. I'm pretty certain this is the universal remote control that will work in our house. As he sees me reading the back, though, the worker finally says, this is late on a Saturday night, he, he says to me, so did you need help? I said, no, I think I'm good. Did you get what you came for? Yes, I needed a universal remote control. Oh, well, what kind of a TV do you have? I started looking at the walls where all the TVs are mounted, like 333 million television screens on the wall. I said, one of these, because we bought it here last year. It's a flat screen, it's, you know, nice, big. You don't know what kind of a TV you have? That look, now ladies, you know this, what I'm talking about. <laughs> because we just entered a man zone. That look, you don't know what kind of a TV you have? Do you know what's on your hard drive? Do you know what kind of a car you even drive? How many cylinders under the man zone where he can show me how inferior I am? Don't worry, there are women's zones. We're just not talking about them right now. So no, I don't know what kind of a television I have, but I say to the guy, it says universal remote control, so I'm pretty sure we're gonna be okay. So then he says, well, does your television have a tube in it? I said, do they make them that way anymore? Because I think that's been done like since the 80s. He said, do you, are you ready? He said, do you have a square TV? I said, this kind? Yeah, do you have a square TV? What's the right answer to that question? Because I will tell you when I told him the very next thing out of my mouth, I said to him, no, I have the round kind. <laughs> what do you have? As I took my universal remote control to the front and left the store. Do you have a square TV? Man, I was annoyed like that, just like that. Irritated, annoyed, angry. I, if I never shop at that store, hmm, too bad they're going out of business. I just look at the TV and I can get angry all over again. What gets you annoyed and angry? I don't like the smell of fish. I love Fisherman's Wharf, but that's, if they could just take the fish smell away. I don't like Fisherman's Wharf. I don't like people who drive slow in the fast lane while they're texting, right? I don't like Christmas songs set to country music style. 
bad idea. Somebody had a hangover while they thought that was a good combination. I don't like when I buy food for a homeless person on the street who says they're hungry, and I take them a lunch, and they say, no, no, I just want money. Can you give me cash? See, all of those things irritate me. What irritates you and annoys you gets you frustrated and angry. And I'm talking about the spectrum now this morning, from the small things all the way to these things that grow and become large and overwhelming in our mind and in our world. From the private, the man at Best Buy, who's just, you just know he's an idiot while you're talking to him. But it's not very nice to say that to him. From the small things, all the way to the larger frustrations that take place on your campus and in your homes and in our lives and the international con conversations, things that get us very angry because we live in a supercharged world right now. So yesterday when we were speaking about Jesus coming down on a level place, he says to the people when he begins to talk in Luke chapter 6, this is what he says to them. Luke 6 verse 27, but to you who are listening, I say, which seems to imply Jesus knows some of them won't be, and some of us won't be, and, and when we can't listen to Jesus, I'm suggesting this is part of what disrupts our equilibrium. Lives of equilibrium, our lives that, that are focused on the priorities of Jesus. And when I can't hear Jesus, I have disequilibrium. And it's as if Jesus knows this when he says, to those of you who are listening, because I know some of you aren't right now. Whether it's first century Palestine or 21st century Loma Linda, California. To those of you who are having trouble hearing me, because we live in a supercharged world, the volume has turned up. Have you noticed where people move from small annoyances to aggressions to anger to hate? It seems like everyone's got the volume turned up, shouting at each other, whether it's online, on blogs, whether it's, well, like this, what, what we see on television. Look at this. There's not a song in the world you could sing. Yeah. I'll take you out, buddy. You're gonna take me out? Yeah. How are you gonna do that? Watch. The crane sucks. Reality shows, talking heads, and the internet have become platforms for incivility. Ripping at the very core of social discourse. It became apparent that civility had finally had its last nail driven into its coffin. And there were a series of outbursts in very close proximity. How could you be so Kanye West storming the stage at the VMA show. Congressman Joe Wilson shouting, you lie, at the president. That's as angry as I've ever seen it. And Serena Williams cursing out the ref at the U.S. Open. This was reflecting something bigger that was going on within the culture. Round two! A culture that thrives on getting attention and a need for the spotlight. Mr. and Mrs. Salahi.
and the things that people were saying to each other, it was kind of an, a, a global epidemic of road rage. Now you can leave. You are as useless as I thought you were. Even turning rudeness into an art form. That was a musical wipeout. There are only so many words I can drag out of my vocabulary to say how awful that was. this kind of sassiness in the culture that our children are now being exposed to. Things like Hannah Montana. It makes me dumb, stupid, idiotic. If we lose respect, then a lot of other stuff is going out the window. And then that's how you wind up having a culture of aggression and bullying. But reality show stars have proven that bad behavior is rewarded. There's so much noise out there. Charlie Sheen was just out of control. But what makes for good television may not work in real life. Don't get in my face. Do not take off my family! Police, it's a good moment to be an artist. And uh, you look at a work like this where we are handing off mankind into the grip of the technology. I think that that says a lot about where we're heading. It looks familiar. It's our culture and it's the air that we breathe and before we know it, little annoyances become larger annoyances and aggressions and we find ourselves angry. Now, to be angry is not uh, even the Bible says it's okay to be angry because anger upon reflection usually passes. The Bible says be angry, just don't act on it. But when anger doesn't pass, when we don't resolve it, when it stays a while and, and it becomes hostile, turns into something more like hate. And it's, it's in the air we're breathing in culture all around the world, starting right here. Maybe this is part of what keeps us from being able to hear the words of Jesus. 2011 started with Congressman Gabby Gifford, Tucson, Arizona, being shot, but moved quickly within the matter of two weeks to Tunisia. And pretty soon it was, uh, it was Egypt and it was Libya and it was Wisconsin, the United States capital in America where people were behaving badly and, and then to the Occupy movements by the end of the year where you didn't really know where the violence would come from. Those in authority or those attempting to be peaceful. It's the air that we breathe in 2011 when a little annoyance turns aggressive and becomes anger and it turns into hate. Hate. Hate takes energy. Hate takes commitment. Hate takes time. Hate takes priority. Hate takes us away from other obligations. Some of us are taught to hate, and we don't even know, raised in the environments where we were raised, the things we were taught to hate. Small things. Larger things. You know, my father doesn't drive Fords, but it's, it doesn't really hurt you too much if you don't like Fords. I mean, it, the biggest inconvenience is when I go to rent a car, right? I just say, could I have something besides a Ford? Why? Because my father doesn't like Fords. I don't have a problem with Fords, but my father doesn't like Fords, so we don't drive Fords in my family. 
And that's how it begins with some of these ideas from the context where we grew up in. Hate is sometimes something we learn. So it is when Jesus comes down on the level place where we spoke about yesterday and he begins to interact with the people. And remember we said yesterday there's a power radiating from him like dynamite. There's an attractiveness that people want to touch him. When he's healed them all, he begins to speak. And when he begins to speak, out of his mouth come the priorities of God, the things God cares about, which are the things Jesus cares about. And Jesus says, for those of you who are listening, here are the things that God will be caring about. Move down to verse 27. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If you love those who love you, what credit is it to you? Even sinners love those who love them. If you do good those to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be paid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. And the instructions seem clear, and they seem simple, until you begin to ask, well, who is my enemy? Well, maybe I don't have. Well, maybe I do. My enemy is the guy from Best Buy? Is that my enemy? The enemy, the really big forces in the world, the terrorists and the killers. Who belongs on the enemy list? One might begin to ask when you listen to Jesus speak this way. However, lost in translation in that first verse there, 27, when Jesus says, uh, love your enemies, it's not singular. Chris Oberg, love your enemies. Terry Swenson, love your enemies. Pastor Dillis Brooks, love your enemies. It's plural. Love the enemies of you all. Do good to the enemies of you all. It's a group conversation Jesus is having. And it's beyond private enemies, though I don't think that would be excluded, but it's beyond my private personal issues. It's, it's, it's more like this. For those students of Jesus, you all, you won't be hating any other groups. For those students of Jesus, you all, you, we will be working to dismiss hate from our community, all of us. And it, we have alternatives given to us right in this same text. I think it's interesting that the command, love your enemies, is not simply mean, be silent, turn the other cheek. In this text, Jesus gives us alternatives. We replace the aggression with some intentional acts four aggressive acts that are replaced. If you have enemies, you're to love them. If you hate, Jesus asks that we do good. If we curse with our mouths or with our actions, Jesus asks us to bless the other who might be our enemy. And if we are in the process of mistreating, Jesus asks instead of mistreating that we pray. They're alternatives, and I'm suggesting to you today that these alternatives are part of the Jesus-centered life when we're talking about equilibrium. You heard Miguel say this morning, it is not easy to figure out a balanced life. 
You can't open the Gospels and find where Jesus gives us the day planner and how to work all of these things into our schedule, but we can open the Gospels and find out priorities, dynamics, forces that will also work against the Jesus-centered life. Today, Jesus is telling us one of the forces that works against this life is aggression and anger and untreated anger, which turns into hate. Peter Gomes, who was the most recent um, chaplain in the Harvard University Memorial Church, says, the infection of hate touches us all, even if we believe we're free from it. When taking seriously the Jesus-centered life, yesterday I asked, what do we even mean when we use that language? I find the longer I live with Jesus and the longer I live with people attempting to take Jesus seriously, that it's easier to talk about Jesus, easier to talk about Jesus than to talk about the things Jesus talked about and to work on the things Jesus worked on. So today when we open scripture, we learn the movement of Jesus, the students of Jesus, the community of Jesus. Yes, sure, the Christian church, but institutions like yours and mine where we put Jesus in the middle of our mission statements. Groups like us will be groups that work to displace the force of hate in our world. And I think in working to displace hate, aggression, anger, the turned up screaming volume in our world, in working to displace that, a little more equilibrium comes to our lives. Things feel right. Well, I didn't say we had more time in the day. I didn't say magically uh, all the scheduling problems fall into place. I say deep in our soul we sense an equilibrium because our soul is aligned with the priorities of Jesus, which are the priorities of God. So it's a personal assignment, but it also is a collective assignment. Where are the annoyances in our lives, the small? I can talk about that best, you know what I call him, the best, best by boy. I could talk about the best by boy today and get as angry as when it happened a year ago. You know what that tells us? I didn't fix it yet. Why do I give him that much of my time? That causes disequilibrium. Forget it. All the way from the small moments of annoyance to the, the bigger aggressions, to the anger, to the hate, it's a personal and a community assignment. Where are those things in our lives? The invitation from Jesus is that we push those things out of our zone. It will not only be pushing the hate out of our lives as healing arts specialists, as those of you who are professionals in the healing arts community, this is your territory as well to be the advocates for the other, to be advocates for those who, who need hate pushed out of their world. Before the holidays, in Mumbai, there was a ceremony. This ceremony involved 285 girls, and it's at the initiation of the public health officer in this territory, a healing arts specialist. 
285 girls because in Mumbai, in India, since 1947, still there is a gender discrimination and the gap continues to broaden because there are selective abortions done on female fetuses in some of these territories. If, it's illegal, by the way, but still practiced. If not aborted, then oftentimes the, the little girls born are just ignored and malnutrition sets in and they die because of the cultural stereotypes, because of the burden to the families to pay the dowries, because of all sorts of strata of complications we can't begin to understand right here today. There was a ceremony before the holidays involving 285 girls. These girls were all given the name at birth, the one same name, I hope I'm pronouncing correctly, Nakusha. Nakusha, Nakusha. In their language, it means unwanted. They're given the name from birth. In one case, one of the little girls says, it was my grandfather who named me. My whole life I have known I've been unwanted. But in the ceremony this day, instigated by the public health officer in their territory, all of these girls are allowed to choose new names and surrender their name unwanted. Oh, they had a party, according to the Associated Press. They began to imagine what names they wanted. Some of them chose the name of princesses and of Bollywood stars. Girls aged 1 to 20, almost 300 of them. A 15-year-old girl says that day, I took for my new name a name meaning very tough. So no one in the future would ever trouble me again. That day, 285 girls in their best outfits with bows in their hairs, they're holding the certificates of the new names they've chosen, that the adults around them authorize, that the government certifies, and from this day forward, the hate attached to their name is gone. Wow. Could you imagine yourself as that healing arts specialist one day because of the equilibrium Jesus brings into our lives. Remember yesterday I said we never know who will receive the healing. Amen. You know, I'm reminded in Scripture that Jesus says, uh, when the world is made right, set back to the way it was originally supposed to be, that one of the things we'll receive is a white stone with a new name on it, a special name from God. I'm wondering, in light of the words of Pastor Oberg, what names have people put on you that you don't deserve? What name does God have in mind for you? Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that there's an alternative to the ratcheted up anger and frustration in this world. Because those angers just represent unresolved, unmet things in us. That we look to others, that we look to things, that we look to experiences to fill for us, Lord, but ultimately leaves us empty. Yet you'll fill us with what we need. Love, acceptance, forgiveness, new dreams. 
May we experience those things today, Lord, because we've heard your spirit whisper to us here in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless. We'll see you tomorrow. Welcome to today's Transforming Lives. We're in the middle of our Week of Renewal series on finding equilibrium. Once again, uh, Pastor Oberg has uh, challenged us, enlightened us, made us stop and think. Understanding what the anger comes from, how we can transform our society around us, and maybe stop back and look at people and, and what happens in their lives to know that that anger and that frustration is things unresolved, things that need to be met. What's the priorities of life? Uh, I have a very special guest here. Uh, my guest is Carla Goldberg. She is a director for the Center for Spiritual Life and Wholeness. She is a professor in the School of Religion. She is a master teacher. She's a wonderful speaker. She's, well, I could keep going here. <laughs> but I want you to get a chance to talk with her and get her input today. So in this whole concept, Carla, of and we've had conversations before of wholeness, equilibrium. Is there a difference between those two words? I think there is. Okay. Um, a difference between wholeness and equilibrium? Yeah. Well, it depends on how you define equilibrium. Okay. I, I actually thought the question you had asked was, was there a difference between balance and equilibrium? That's well, let's what go I was with that. That's, oh, that's better. Let's go with that. <laughs> that's, that's fine. Um, well, you know, when we think of balance, we think mm. of are things in balance? Mm. I don't think that is wholeness. That's that's something different okay but if we're talking about am i in balance that's closer to being mm. what it is which is okay. more about equilibrium meaning uh -huh. does my life hold together when the forces move against it does it have integrity mm. if it if it crumbles then i don't have equilibrium i don't have wholeness but but if there is integrity if the mm. parts cohere in some fashion so that when the forces come against my life, it doesn't just crumble, mm. then that's wholeness. What are some of the components that get you that integrity? Wow, there's, well, like uh, Chris Oberg was talking about this morning, mm. one thing is this ability to handle emotions or anger. I think when you can't handle uh, mm. deep emotion, especially negative emotion, it, it, it causes the pieces of you to separate like with PTSD, mm -hmm. that's, that's emotion fragmented, mm -hmm. and it, it doesn't cohere. So it, it, it leaves you walking around in a, in, in a jumble. In a moment of transparency. Um, no, I've never been angry in my life. No, no I have. In <laughs> fact, one day my wife was getting after me, and she said, you're angry all the time. I go, I am not. Oh, I'm being angry. She goes, ask people around you. So I did. I started asking my kids, am I angry? Yeah, Dad, you're angry. I came to work, asked Dilla, Stephanie, people that work with me. I go, 
am I angry? He goes, yeah, what are you angry about? And I go, I don't know. So I went and I went to a counselor and I talked with him. And there was, I have PTSD. Uh, from, when, from my experience when I was young and shot and almost killed in, in a violent act against me. And it never had been resolved or dealt with. And so when you bring that up, that whole fragmented thing, it was like, why am I angry? And that helped to find that integrity that you're talking about. Or lack of my inability to forgive another person causes me to fragment. Oh, um, not okay. being loved, uh, uh, you know, or not having good attachments early uh, in life. There's so many things that cause us to fragment. Mm. So there's all these little contributing factors to one's ability to cohere inside. It's not just one thing. A anger and the ability uh, to deal with it is, is one. Uh -huh. But there, there are many, many. And, and so, you, you know, you can't say, well, if I could just get this one thing under wraps and I, you know, the pieces would come together. So then with the things that cause that fragmentation, what are some of the key things that people can have to pull those things together to defrag? Well, you know, in the whole concept of wholeness, uh -huh. we say at the very center of that mm -hmm. is one's relationship with God. But, mm -hmm. but what is that? Mm -hmm. it, does that mean having a little devotional reading in the morning? Yeah. And, and if you say you're a little two-bit, then that's it? Mm -hmm. I, I don't think so. I think what we see at the center is an unconditional love, meaning if I have a space in this world where I'm loved unconditionally, mm -hmm. then that means I'm held together, mm -hmm. even if these other things are, the forces are moving against me. That one thing, we see it in babies. If they're loved, they have a place, a space of being held physically and mentally and spiritually. If they have that, they can withstand almost anything. Even at that small of an age. Even at that small of an age. Mm -hmm. so, so we place that connection with God at the center because we're talking about connection with love, of mm -hmm. being unconditionally loved. And there's a whole lot you can withstand if you're held so, by another hand uh, rather than just your own. So that would stand to reason if you look at how fragmented our society is, breakdown of communities, where do people have spaces? Right. Where do people have those safe environments or caring, nurturing? Or where do they just, see, before you get to that space of nurturing, mm -hmm. you have to be able to stop. Because mm. if you can't stop, you, you, you can't, you're not aware of anything. What you're do you mean rushing. by stop? Well, if you're rushing from thing to thing, as yeah. we're doing, yeah. year yeah. to year, text to text, email to email, mm -hmm. Facebook, mm -hmm. uh, all, all these things, when you're rushing so much, you'll lose the ability to be present with anyone or anything. Hmm. And so how could you possibly stop and think and acknowledge the love of God if you can't even stop? You know, it's like you have to be able to stop first. Is a, uh, the thing that popped in my mind. Like you you're talking about saying the grout. That, yeah, the Remember grout. That Remember time the, grout, the grout, the tile yeah. and the grout, right? That's uh, right. If you're wondering what she's saying, there was a time I looked at my, uh, uh, well, it's entourage now, yeah. but Outlook, and I scrolled, out, I went out enough to the view where the segments of my to dos were in colored blocks, and I looked at the visual and I realized that my time with the little white lines mm. and they were like grout on the tile. Well, yeah. you, you look at a schedule. Mm -hmm. You've got a meeting that goes from 10 to 11, and the next right. meeting starts at 11. Yeah. How in the world do you get from the first meeting to the second? There you go. There's no grout. There's no right. space in there. Right. 
And you, you can't even walk from one meeting to the next. How could you possibly even sort of rest between one mm. meeting and the next or internally have that space of rest? Have you found any way to get get past that? I mean, one of the things I've tried is my assistant just scheduling me more time, but that kind of works until something eats up that time, which always does. You know, I'm trying something new this year, what Terry. Do you, do? you want to hear what it? What do you do? Yes, I do. I'm so excited. This is hot news. Okay, here we go. Right here on Transforming Lives. I really struggled to answer all my emails. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, you know. And intelligently. You know, a lot like one-liners like wow. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So here's my new thing. Okay. My attempt is to go to every meeting 15 minutes early. Okay. Yes. Okay. Because when you're early, you connect with people. Uh You relax. You actually get, you know, there's a lot that happens. It's not something you check off a list. Mm-hmm. And if they're, if I'm through greeting people and saying hello and I sit down, mm-hmm. I start answering my email in that 15 minutes. So it's wow. not dead space. Wow. But what it means is I have to leave every other meeting 15 minutes early. But I'm finding that if you're on time, leaving early is not a bad thing. Wow. Okay, we, we'll stay tuned. We'll have her come back at the end of the year and see how that goes. That, that's brilliant. So far, I'm so, loving okay. it. Chris said something about priorities, too. So yeah. that kind of plays into what you're saying with the priorities. Yes, because one of the things there is, let's say a meeting. Mm. If you arrive late, you're telling everybody that that is not as important as where you just were. Mm. But you haven't told where you were that they're important mm. just by staying. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to communicate something, you arrive early. Tell people they're important. Mm. So I'm thinking, how in my life can I communicate to people that they're important, that their time is valuable? Mm-hmm. And it's not always my time that I'm considering. Mm. So that's, that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But you have to have, now we go back to this equilibrium, you have to have courage within yourself to get up out of a meeting and leave. You know, okay, to make the yeah, other now, thing We live happen. in meeting world That's here. Right. You, you people have to know this is meeting <laughs> world here. So how do you do that? Because if you get up and move, people are like, uh, most of them are saying, I wish I could do that too. But I exactly, mean, but, exactly. But do you, have you gotten any fall, uh, so far fallout not. from that? So far, but I, it may come. Yeah, but that's your nights. Everybody's nice to you. They like you, you know. No, that's not always true. But is that true? No, no, that's not okay. always true. Okay. I wish it were true, but no, that's not always hmm. true. That's an interesting concept. So that's one thing. Uh But it takes, you know, when you're making these little decisions, Mm. it takes some sort of inner core that says, I'm going to try this, see if it works. Or like you did with your friends when you said, am I angry? Mm. That took a sort of inner coherence to even be able to ask that that question. And it's that inner coherence that I'm talking about. What's that? You know, it startled me. It ties in with what you're saying. It resonates with what you're saying because I was so busy. I didn't even see it. Yeah. And part of that busyness was part of the issue. And wow. But mm. I think inner coherence is mm. what I'm talking about, inner equilibrium. It's, it takes a lifetime of really attending to build. You don't build it in a day. No. You, you daily think and talk and pray mm. about how to pull these pieces together. Yeah, I don't, it's not a sudden thing. Mm. And so then you then you fail. You know, you get mad. You yes. think me get mm-hmm. mad, mm-hmm. and then you do, and then you have to deal with it. As as you've worked with people, Carla also does therapy and counseling, many other things. 
when you, and just with people in life that you work with every day, how do you help them to find that, that inner core? That I don't think you can help someone find it. Mm-hmm. I think they can only experience it. Mm. So in other words, it, let's say you don't have it. I mm. think you do, but let's say you don't. Mm. You experience it by being with someone mm. who's experiencing it. Okay. You, you have a sense of it when you're with a person. Mm-hmm. And I, I think when we want to help other people, we do it best by experiencing it ourselves and by extending that space of coherence so that people feel peaceful in our presence. So, see, that's another thing. You look at society now. We're so, many of us, but we're so isolated. Even, even though with all mm-hmm. the technology and we have mm-hmm. to try to stay connected, we're not. That that even cries out more for that relational thing that you're talking about. Yes. Um, we have a minute left. Oh, man, we have so much to do I in know, that minute. I know, in a minute, that's right, in a minute. <laughs> but the sequel, we'll have you again. Um, how can I, how can people listening be that person you just talked about for another person? What's some quick ways we could do that? Ellen White says that it was heaven to be in his presence, speaking of Jesus. And I ask myself very often, what would it be like to be heaven in my presence? What would it take? Mm. And I think, it, you know, while this sounds simplistic and we talk about it all the time, it's about if, if I spend time with God and experience a space of being unconditionally loved, mm-hmm. forgiven, mm-hmm. led, mm-hmm. guided, then, then, then I calm down. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what I would say to people, you know, spending a certain kind of time with God, not just time with God, a certain kind of time. Mm-hmm. We have to leave it at that, and it, that is so good and something really to ponder upon that by the time we spend with God, we can transform others because they see it in us. Join us tomorrow as we continue in this uh, special week on finding equilibrium. May you find that in your life and be transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. See you tomorrow.